Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. We're presented by the Top Football Club channel and Amp Radio. We are recording this on Sunday, October 1st. I am your host, like I said. In this episode, all of Manchester loses, Arsenal cruise, and we may have the worst relegation fight in years. But first, there's only one thing to talk about, and that is the awful, awful VAR call in the Spurs-Liverpool game. It's overshadowed the whole weekend, and it has been awful, awful, awful. I'm not happy about it. I don't think anyone's happy about it, but we have to talk about it. As I try and navigate this show system here, I'm moving myself around, trying to figure out where I go and how things work. But anyway, uh, the show will look decent. I'm sure Chris will find a way to make it look good. But first, let's like, share, and subscribe the show. Uh, It makes all the difference in the world. You guys are the most important thing. You guys are what make this thing work. You guys are everything to the show. So thank you. Like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. Without you, we have no shows. And without Chris, we have none of the amazing stuff that's happening on a regular basis. Uh, So now I've made myself disappear for the eighth time as I fill myself out into the screen and we figure out what's going on. So uh, again, this is the Squeaky Bum Time podcast. We're part of Top FC Radio, uh, and we are on We record on Sundays after the Premier League week has ended, and I try and get as much in as possible. Okay, Liverpool, Arsenal. I mean, Liverpool, Spurs, what a terrible, terrible event that was in what was going to be a great game. What was going to be a great game? I have a stain on my shirt, um, but, you know, what can I do? My hat is all stained, but I'll take that off. Um, What can I say about this? So... The core issue here is that we had a goal chalked off in the game on an offside goal that was just got completely wrong. So what does that mean? What does that mean? How did it happen? Well, it sounds like what happened was, sorry, as I keep working my angles to get myself in a better position here. What happened, what it sounds like happened is the VAR, sorry, the on-field referee along with the VAR did not communicate. You had a goal called offside by Diaz and the VAR saying check complete because they thought It was a goal, and they were checking if the goal was indeed a goal. And indeed, it was a goal. And so that was happening, and they didn't communicate saying, oh, this wasn't a goal. And so you had this terrible um, mishap and disaster around, around whether a goal is a goal or not. And so now we have this terrible uh, episode where... We have a goal chalked off because uh, someone just made a huge, huge, huge mistake and just blew it and just got it completely, completely wrong. And everything about it is completely wrong. Um, The VAR is missed, communicated. 
the play was wrong. The result of the game is now up in question. And the damage it does to the game is beyond the result. It's bigger than the game. It's bigger than the result. Here you have a Liverpool side that's trying to win the league. Here you have a Stepatnam side that's trying to win the league. We had good games. We had good results. We had good everything. And now we have this ridiculous VAR call that essentially blows it. Um, they did not communicate. The on-field, the VAR guy thought it was a goal and, and did the check based on it being a goal. Basically, he was not watching the game or no one told him what happened. And so the issue compounded because the rule on VAR is once the game restarts, and the game did restart for an offside goal because it took 45 seconds, then they cannot go back because that is the protocol. So we have an incorrect call that's clearly incorrect on the biggest game in the world, Spurs-Liverpool, Saturday night. So more of the world watching than would a you know, a, a, a midweek game and the damage it's doing to the league and to the, to the sport is really, really high. It's really, really high. This is really, really bad. It's one of the worst in the four years of VAR. You know, we have a lot of controversial, is it or isn't it? They're subjective. The one thing with offside is it is not subjective. The complaints about offside calls have always been that they're slow. This one was very fast and wrong <laughs> because again the referees did not communicate with the on-field referees to say what are you reviewing for is it a goal or not and then having the inability or lack of will or lack of clarity to say wait a minute stop the game i don't care what the protocol is we've got this wrong like to not have the wherewithal to fix it and hope that Spurs wins by three goals was crazy. It's just crazy. And that's not even the crazy. I mean, it's overshadowed the game, but the actual game itself, you know, we had, we had, um, we had, we had the offside, we had an offside goal. We had a red for Curtis Jones that on replay, they have to call it. There's just no way about it in live speed, foot over the ball, rolling over the ball. It's not an intentional, uh, trying to do Basuma, but Jones, once you are at full speed like that, uh, once you are at full speed like that, you have to call it. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Dean C uh, is writing in. He says, it just sucks that it takes a happening to live our pool for it to get mass attention when both Spurs and Liverpool have got a lot of biased calls in their favor. So this is good, Dean. Thanks for writing this in. I am not a subscriber to conspiracy theories at all. I hate that kind of narrative. I don't like, everyone feels like their team is getting taken advantage of. I can go through half a dozen city uh, instances where I feel like we were hard done. It's because you watch your team and you love your team and you want your team to win that you view all the calls on your own team as a conspiracy against your team. If there's any team that feels hard done, it's Wolves. Ask Gary O'Neill, he'll tell you. If there's any team that feels hard done, ask Jurgen Klopp. 
he'll tell you. If there's any team that feels hard done, ask Pep Guardiola, he'll tell you. If there's any team that feels hard done, ask Ten Hag, he'll tell you. Every manager, every team, every club feels like VAR is against them. And these guys are too incompetent to be that smart to do something that clever that no one will find out about. They're not, there's not some grand conspiracy. They're incompetent, right? They're incompetent. I don't know how professional referees aren't in England. I know historically it hasn't been. I know that they're sort of been trying to, and Mike Riley did a poor job. First of all, who would ever want to be a referee? What pool are we pulling from? My thing with ref- with refereeing is I want a few things. One, I don't want VAR. I hate it. I don't know who it's for. I don't know why we have it. And until it can be exact, clear, and take less than a second, like the goal line technology, I don't want it. So that's one thing, right? Offside should be immediate. If it's not immediate, I don't want it. Anything that's subjective, there should only be the 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 coach can call it once for them to review it. Everything else we play on because part of what makes football football is its moments. And as we keep doing this, we're finding out that the moments are just getting shielded and hidden and buried and stuck and weird behind all this stuff. I mean, referees and controversy around refereeing has been around forever. Just look at the history of football. There's games in the World Cup in the 30s, in the 40s, well, not really the 40s, in the 30s with Argentina and the 66 with with what happened to Pele. This has been going on for decades. Uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But no matter what we do, the referee is part of the narrative of the game. And how about we just try two referees before we decide we need video referees? How about we just put two on the field so that they can talk to each other, right? In, in American football, there are five or six different guys looking at different places to make calls in NBA basketball. There are three referees in every game. So like why we're just doing a line, two line judges and a referee who, who have these jurisdictions. Like how about they all talk about it together, huddle up and get these things right. I don't know. I know one has to be the main one who talks anyway. It doesn't matter, but it does suck to me that this game was overshadowed. Uh, Just going through the game itself Spurs winning it to one. Um, there was another red card, obviously, uh, the Jones red card. Then in the second half, you had the Jota red card. He also is sent off on 69. So Jones on 26, even though Gakpo leveled the game in the near the end of the first half. So it's 1-1 going into the half. The Diaz goal is not counted. So we don't have anything on the Diaz goal. Um, and then Jota comes on in the second half for Gakpo and gets the two yellows. Uh, the first one was marginal, clips the heels, probably couldn't call it. But then for a minute and a half later to get another one was ridiculous. So he comes on, he's only in the game for 20 minutes and then sent off. Uh, Son also goes off in this game. Manor Solomon comes on. And then in the end, um, Joel Matip on a really hard cross by, um, by Kulishevsky, own goal, unfortunately. That's how uh, the cookie crumbles, and unfortunately, the great and powerful Liverpool lose the game. They only take two shots in the second half. Everything is in the in the second half. It's all Spurs. They really go for it. They win the XG battle as they should. I texted Mike, who is a great guest of the show, that up having Liverpool being two men down 
and Spurs not winning this would be a major, major failure of a result. Um, let's see. Shout out to Laurent. Let's see. Here we go. Let's see what uh, what our friend said. Shout out to Laurent. Questions are headed into more technology in the game. Do you think FIFA is making things worse by adding more? Do we take VAR out? Can they take VAR out? I'm sure that's Chris uh, shouting me out. Um, I want less. I want less technology. Uh, I really do. I think that we have enough technology in our lives. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. I'm doing this show because I can live stream. What this used to be something that I'd, I'd have to have a studio and a camera the size of an army, a bazooka in front of me and a VHS and blah, blah, blah. And I'd have no way to broadcast it. But now through technology, we can do this. And I think we have enough of it and that it's not, I think the question I have with VAR is like, it's not improving the game. It's not making anything better. It's not improving the game experience. It's not improving the post-game experience. All we're talking about is this stuff. And I wanna be talking about games, right? The games are what we wanna talk about. We wanna talk about the amazing 20 minutes before where it was up and down and we had lots of chances and you know, within the first the first 20 minutes of the game, I can tell you it was back and forth. Liverpool took the first, dominated the first 20 minutes of the game. Then for five minutes there, Spurs after the red did sort of pick things up. Sonny gets his goal. Uh, and then at, against the run and play, Gakbo gets one. But in between that, we did have the the VAR call for um for um Diaz. And we don't get to see that. We got lost in a, an amazing performance. Spurs played well. I think that they can go through this and be like, we're on this. We're on the journey. We'll take we'll take the gift. By far, we'll take this gift and run with it. Um, but, you know, Liverpool will feel hard done. Liverpool are going to feel aggrieved. Liverpool are going to be dying inside. Liverpool know what it's like to lose leagues by one point. My beloved Manchester City took them out twice by two points and so they're gonna hurt this is gonna be pain um the question like should they replay the game that's a big question um should they just give a draw can they do that can what can be done if they really wanted to do you just replay the whole game that sounds insane to me if i was spurs i would lose a gasket if i had to do that uh, i hope that's not done um as much as i hate liverpool i hate talking about var i don't want it I don't know what the point is. I don't understand it. Who is it for? Why are we doing it? It's clearly not for the fans. Is it to get it right? Is it because there's gambling money? What is it for and why are we doing it? If someone can tell me the answers to that, uh, I'm I'm more interested in the moments being still part of the game. When you score a goal and you look to the side and there's no flag up, it's a goal, period. I don't want anything else because that's why I love football for moments. And I don't want them slowed down and I don't want them checked on a referee. I'd rather get mad as the game is going on because the beauty of football is when they don't have this VR thing, the game can just go. You're just like, well, it happened. We got to keep going. So uh, anything that stops that is, is where I am. I love the championship. I watch the English championship. I love it. I like watching um, league two. I love it. I go to, Local games, everything is play on. When you're live, there's no replays. You just go. And that's what's great about football. And VAR is taking that away. I don't want it. I don't like it. I don't need it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to go to other games. Uh, Liverpool lose 
2-1. I'm going to go straight into scores instead uh, and then jump back into other games in case I miss anything. I really like to do the scores. It's one of my favorite things to do. So put a minute on the clock. My beloved Brighton lose 6-1 to Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins with a hat trick. Incredible stuff by Villa. I knew it would be a good game. Then the great and powerful Manchester United lose 1-0 at home to Crystal Palace. What an awful result. Uh, Jackie and Anderson with a thunderbolt of a goal. Incredible stuff. West Ham put the smackdown on Sheffield United 2-0. That's 10 goals unanswered for Sheffield United without scoring a goal. And we're going to talk about the relegation battle as we get through it. Uh, West Ham off the schneid, back at it. Why are Sheffield United playing out from the back? The great and powerful Newcastle United have now scored 10 goals with no reply, beating Burnley 2-0. Nice stuff from Almiron. He's on off the schneid, and Isaac scores on a penalty. Then our friends in Everton lose at home 1-2 to Luton Town. Oh, Everton, you're so bad. Uh, Bournemouth on the south coast lose to Arsenal, nil four. Uh, Havertz gets the goal. It seems like his teammates love him. Uh, Saka with a goal. Odegaard with a goal. Two of those on penalties. Were there three penalties? I don't know. It felt like a lot. And the great and powerful Manchester City lose to Wolves. Lose to Wolves. I'm going to say it again. Lose to Wolves. 2-1. Uh, it looks like you have to have your starting midfield to win games. Just saying, it's a little bit weird. No KDB, no Bernard Silva, no Rodri, no party for Manchester City. Can't get the ball to Holland, can't score goals. 2-1, they lose uh, Chang and Neto with the goals, or an own goal from Diaz. Again, Tottenham beat Liverpool 2-1, big game for them. And on Sunday, the great and powerful Nottingham Forest get a draw at home versus Brentford. For them, draws are good. Nottingham Forest is a good team. They're tough. And Monday night, tomorrow, we will have Fulham playing Chelsea in a London derby, but we will not have a result for that. I am going to go to the wheel of fortune goes to Manchester United nil, Crystal Palace one. Uh, no more excuses for Ten Hag, my friends. This is another disjointed, slow, not working performance. Manchester United have four losses already. Four losses already. They win the XG battle. XG battle doesn't mean shit. Uh, uh, Joachim Anderson's goal on 25. The only thing between these teams, United had the possession. They had all the passing. They took more of the shots. Only three on target. You never got the feeling they were that threatening, that they were going to score a goal. Uh, Rashford, in and out of this game, takes only two shots, none on target. Hoyland. He's running. He's doing his thing. Only got one shot on target. Just 19 touches. Uh, thinks he's uh, Erling Holland. Uh, Rashford came off for Ericsson. Palestri and Garnacho didn't do much either, although Garnacho really was lively, taking three shots, one on target. Fernandez seemed to find, kept trying to find his way into the game. Didn't do much. Mason Mount was back in the game. Uh, Amrabat was at left back out of position um, with uh, Delo at right back. Four different midfielders. Seems Lindelof came off for Vanderbeek. Varane came off for Maguire. Some weird, weird changes there. Uh, Onana, could he have gotten that shot? Maybe. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to kill him for it, but he only faced two shots, and uh, he didn't save it. So 50% save rate. He needs to be up in the 70s if he really wants to help this team. Um, I like what Crystal Palace do. Uh, Uncle Roy is a legend. 
my guy Abrigi Eze just bossing this game as usual. And unfortunately, Man United lose again. There's not much to talk about. This team is stuck in the mud. They're stuck in the mud. The question is, how long does it go? Can it go on? Is this on Ten Hag? When do the knives start coming out for him? This is very much in line with how United are right now. Um, I think it's a mistake, but I could see it also getting toxic. Um, I could see United starting to implode on themselves. I could see the trust in Ten Hag fading. The players just not taking on what he's saying. Um, there's there there are trust issues, right? Like making the call against De Gea and bringing in Onana, and Onana not making saves is really an erosion of trust. Um, bringing in Anthony and him being when he's playing, not doing much, and now that he's off the pitch, uh, attacking Sancho. Maybe there's players that like him. Maybe they felt like he was a game changer. Maybe there's something about him in, in training. Bringing in Mount. Mount not really affecting game. So each decision that Ten Hag makes that fails or isn't working is a knock on the confidence in the players that are on the team in him. And I think that's the bigger issue. I think they felt like Martinez made a difference and Varane made a difference, but Martinez is out. The foot injury he had, breaking a metatarsal, he's going under surgery again. He's going to be gone a long time. Get used to Lindelof, Harry Maguire. You know what? They were right to keep him. They probably needed him. Uh, thank God they didn't sell him because they would have no one right now. So uh, it's a little bit weird. You're going to see more of Johnny Evans, I think, in a weird way. Um, United just kind of have to survive this moment and see if they can advance before their season, frankly, slips away. They are ensconced in mid-table, and all of their underlying numbers are mid-table. They're 10th in expected goals, 10th in expected goals against. So now that's not everything. Expected goals obviously are not the be-all and end-all of anything, but I think if you're a United fan and you're really, really honest with yourself and you look back at all the games, they've played well for... 30 minutes against Spurs, and then the second half against uh, Nottingham Forest. So in the seven games so far, they have one good game. Um, you can squint your eyes and maybe think that you played okay against Bayern. You want to give yourself a half of credit for that? Fine. You know you got blown out by, by Bayern. This team has not played well at all, all season. It's worrying. Um, you need to see something happening. Or I think the Ten Hag experience could get bad really, really fast. Uh, let's see one more from Dean. He's still on the VAR thing. Dean says, and by the way, Dean, thanks so much for writing in. It means everything. I'm not a fan of VAR, but the VAR technology isn't the current prom. It's the people operating it or the lack of camera angles. Other leagues and tournaments don't have as many issues with it. We don't know that. I've watched MLS. It's terrible. I've watched La Liga. They have worse refereeing decisions. Uh, I don't know that that's true. I think every country feels like their refereeing is awful. And I think it's one of these things. Thanks for that, Dean. I think it's one of these things where 
the low scoring nature of football and the power that a referee has makes their decisions an outsized issue. So the nature of yellow and red sent off, the nature of foul in the corner of the box means a penalty, you get to shoot on goal. Those decisions are so huge that we're always going to be very upset at the referees. And it's a really difficult game to referee and not feel like it's biased against you because of the nature of how it's set up. Uh, these are questions that we have to think about. Um, oh, Dean's got more. There needs to be, let's see what else, Dean, and then we will go, we got one more. There needs to be accountability for officials. I'm reminded of the South Park episode with the cable company as Howard Webb rubbing their nips and saying, we're sorry. Uh, I don't know that one, but uh, I'm here with that one. And let's see the reply from, I'm guessing this is Chris. Uh, I do agree with Dean. The machine is being ran by humans. And as long as it continues, there will always be controversy. Even if it's all computer-based, people will complain and say the spirit of the game is being missed. The game is gone. Uh, not officiating is too protected. Wow, they're having their own conversation. The officiating is too protected. We need to let's show it. We need to start having the best officials from around the world. I completely agree with that, Dean. Uh, yep. Go back to Varless football. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think this is the same debate we've been having. Um, it's difficult. Uh, I, I, I do think we should have referees from around the world. I think that is reasonable. Uh, I don't understand why we don't have that. Um, I think that we should automate and get as close as we can to automate anything that's fast. I'm fine with because my thing is about flow. That's all I care about. So if offside can happen immediately and it's a robot, that's fine. Anything else that stops play, I'm out. Um, but let me get back to the games. So United in a lot of trouble, lots of problems there. Um, as we're going to skip on and keep moving through the Premier League because I don't have all day. United, four losses. Crystal Palace secretly playing well. 3-2-2. Two, and two. Uh, I've always liked Joffrey Manderson. He deserved a big, massive goal there. Uh, I enjoy palace a lot always have have a soft spot for palace just because selhurst park is one of the best stadiums in the league okay let us discuss the great and powerful manchester city two uh one uh wolves two at bolton wanderers um the first thing i want to do is gary o'neill you are a hell of a manager you came in with a week before the season started, and you have had this Wolves team playing really hard with no transfer budget. So respect to you. Uh, I really like Gary O'Neill and his complaining, his little mousy face. This team plays for him. They have a way to play. They have two wins on the board. Uh, they get the own goal from Ruben Diaz, and um, He Chan Huang does get a goal on a little bit of a, a messed up defense. This game was all about Neto on the break. Neto terrorized Ake, uh, could not hang with him. He was running past him constantly. And the issue for City was they controlled the game. They did their thing that they do. The issue for City, H, 23 shots, 8 on target. The stats look like City had a good game and they, it was a bad day at the office. They are not accurate. City did not create anything. I don't think Jose Sa had a difficult save to make. 
aside from the free kick goal from uh, Alvarez, which was an incredible goal. Alvarez, when he plays, he scores goals. But Holland, only 14 touches. That's not enough. Doku seemed to keep getting on the ball, but he couldn't get the shots on target. He seemed to be forgetting what the pass he needed to make was. Foden was completely anonymous, just couldn't get in the game. He kept the center of the pitch seemed to be um, crowded out. Kovacic wasn't good. He came off for Phillips late in the game. Oscar Bob started, had a good half. I mean, came in for the second half. Nunez started the game. I think that was a mistake to start Nunez because it gave the Wolves crowd someone to boo all the time. The crowd was wild in this game. Grealish came on for the last 11 minutes. Uh, Akanji with the old goal. Uh, Akanji uh, helped out Ruben Diaz with the own goal. So just not a great performance for City. I felt like the goal by Huang, there was a lot of people moving around. It felt like it could have been cleared, but just a couple of errors, uh, not clinical in defense. A draw was probably a more fair result. Uh, City got the goal on 58. Then Huang's, uh, Huang's goal came on 66. And um, it was just one of these games. City just couldn't break down uh, Wolves. I think a key thing that Wolves did that is the way to beat City, and I know it sounds weird that I'm going to tell other teams how to beat City, is when you get the chance, you've got to sit deep, sit deep, sit deep, be very compact, be very spirited in defense, not lay off them, but attack front while you defend. And when you break, really break fast and really break for goal and put City under pressure. If you waste any time, uh, and I don't mean boot it long, I mean carry the ball against City, like really attack them. I think that's what West Ham did against um, against Brighton. That sort of style, when you're going against a possession team, you've really got to be forceful in your actions and have conviction. I know that sounds weird. It doesn't mean to open up and play, but it means to, when you defend, defend with power, and push guys off the ball, leave a little on them, little elbows, get close as much as you can. And when you break, break with force, break as a group, break with purpose. Know what you're going to do, know what the paths are, and go at City. Because City's defenders, they can defend one-on-one, but they are exposed and do play one-on-one. And you saw Ake again and again and again get exposed by Pedro Neto, who's clearly the best player that Wolves has and has been for a while. Uh, he just was always injured. Uh, the goal, the first goal came on a hard cross. Ruben Diaz tried to block it. He kicked it into his net. So they were up one. Um, then second half, City tried to pour it on. They just never really, you could see there were lots and lots of shots. It's not for lack of trying that half, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of the twelve sh- of the thirteen shots that City took in the first half were blocked, so they're not even getting them on target. Had a couple soft ones saved, one by Alvarez, one by Holland. Uh, then the goal comes, but City just couldn't get anything on target. That was hard. Kyle Walker had one late that was pretty good. Doku as well, but nothing, nothing that City can feel good about really testing Sar. Uh, even though they have the stats, they have the numbers, blah, 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 blah. Um, for good stuff, Oscar Bob, I thought, was lively for the first 15, 20 minutes that he was in the game. But then he kind of faded uh, as the game started to fade away. Um, nice player. Very, very young. Uh, very, very enjoyable. 
20 years old, so not too young, but has been with City since he was 17 years old, uh, coming off coming off a six and thirteen, followed up by a seven and nine season in the uh, academy. Just another another player that City are just developing and probably won't play. Probably sell him to Chelsea, but uh, nice to see him. But that does affect the top of the league now. Liverpool lost, United lost. What did our friends in Brighton do? They lost too. <laughs> they got smoked by the great and powerful Aston Villa. Uh, this game was really a kind of a contest of two great coaches of who could impose their will on the other. Um, and as much as I love Brighton, they have these games in them. They got the doors blown off them. Ollie Watkins on 14, then 21. OG on 26. They're down by three in the first half hour. Uh, and then in the middle of the second half, Ollie Watkins gets his hat trick on 65. Ramsey and Douglas Louise rounded out for the 6-1. Ansu Fati gets his goal uh, on 50. But um, expected goals says that uh, Brighton should have won. Expected goals don't mean shit, okay? They mean something for the sake of uh, trends, for the sake of understanding what happened in the game. But it does matter what the game state was. Um, it was weird to see uh, Ferguson and Welbeck together. Um, Gilmore played with Hinslewood, a young midfielder. So they're still trying to find, I would have liked to see Dahoud instead, or maybe get Balega in there. They're rotating lots of players. So Steele's rotating with Verbruggen. We're seeing uh, Adam Webster rotating with Van Hecken. So Deserby's trying to find the answers of, hey, I played three games in a week. How does this work? And I think the team's not really finding its groove, but all the goals came on turnovers. So Unai Emery set traps. Not They weren't pressing high, but they were pressing the second pass. So they were letting the ball come out into the defense. And then when the defenders made the pass out from their positions, that's when um, the, the trap was sprung and really good stuff came from those turnovers where um, a Watkins could get running, get in behind, and the, his finishes were really, really good. Ollie Watkins, this should really be the Ollie Watkins parade. Ollie Watkins is a top six club striker. He'd be good in Arsenal. He'd be good at Spurs. He'd be good at City. He'd be good. He's just good. It sort of reminds me of Callum Wilson. There's these good English strikers who are not respected. They bring power. They bring clinical finishing. They bring a work ethic from coming up from lower leagues. If you know about Ollie Watkins, he and Tony both coming through Brighton, uh, sorry, through, through Brentford. Uh, he was at Exeter City in League Two, then went to just scored. He's been scoring 10 goals a season since he was 20 years old at Exeter City in League Two. 13 at Exeter, 10 at Brentford in the championship, then another 10, then 25, gets the move to Villa, 14, 11, 15. This is a double-digit scorer in the Premier League for three years in a row. Ollie Watkins is a consistent player, and he tends to find a way to show whoever his manager is that he's the best man for the job. And he shows up over 35 games a season for the last three and 40 in the championship. Reliable, durable, scores goals, good player. Any team should want Ollie Watkins. Hey, Man United, maybe you should have signed Watkins instead of Hoyland. He's 27, in his prime, just a great player. This is really about Watkins and how good he is. 
and also Emery um, um, McGinn with an incredible floated ball for the last Watkins goal. Villa are good. They just are. Uh, and I think Deserby mentioned it in his uh, press conferences, how he's just having a hard time figuring out what the process is to play all these games. And it's fair. I mean, City went through it when they went to the Champions League. Uh, you saw uh, West Ham have a hard time adapting to the Thursday, Sunday. So this is normal. This is just something that happens. Uh, big teams have to grow. Uh, as much as I'll make excuses for my beloved Brighton, this is a little bit tougher than uh, they would expect. Uh, they need they need um, to push and just, just find a way to get the players they need uh, into, into the system uh, and see, figure that part out. Oh, I put something up that I didn't want to. What is this? Ah. <laughs> I'm putting people into the into the into the live stream that that doesn't need to be there. Um, so it is interesting. Oh, what did I do there? Uh, it is interesting around that part of the game, um, and I'm hoping that. Deserby finds a way because it'd be a shame if if they don't make the top four again and you kind of and then Deserby starts getting mentioned with other jobs and then he moves and then the Brighton thing starts to slip. And I don't want that to happen. Anyway, my beloved Brighton, get beat 6-1. Ouch for me. <laughs> uh we move on uh to the great and powerful um Ar Arsenal winning 4-0 at Bournemouth doing what they needed to do. I think this was a about as easy a performance as Arsenal have had all year. Saka scores on a header in 17. Odegaard just before the half on a penalty. That was just an all-day penalty. Uh, and Ketia gets side down like a laser beam. And then uh, Havertz again uh, in the second half. They let him take the penalty, and Ben White gets one late uh, on 93. Iriola, still no wins um they got their three draws but you know just Bournemouth just making stupid mistakes just why are you trying to tackle guys what are you doing not getting enough shots off just I know that Bournemouth's season is not going to be made on their Arsenal games but they could have played better than they did uh but Raya only has to make one save important he did start no rotation there uh and we'll see what happens there but Arsenal getting some momentum getting good performances. You have the PSV performance where they scored four. And now you have another game where they score four. You know, they can win this league if they beat all the bottom teams. Like, it's okay to lose to City. It's okay to draw with Spurs. Just beat everybody else, and you can really go a long way, especially if from 10 down, you can really, really rack up lots and lots and lots of points and, and get yourself going that way. Uh, of the contenders... Uh, Newcastle, again, has an easy game. Uh, Almiron with a real, real splendid blast of a goal. The XG in this one, 3.2 for uh, Newcastle. That's a really dominant performance of a 3.2 while you actually score the two goals. That means they've really dominated this game. Uh, the great and powerful Burnley under my friend Vincent Company are having a really, really hard time just giving up goals. Uh, Anthony Gordon, again, making a lot of difference, drawing penalties. Almiron showing what he does best. Trippier with an assist. Just normal stuff, normal service. Getting back into order, you know. Uh, it's Shar and Lascelles with Trippier and Dan Byrne. So they're still missing uh, Botman, but 
Nick Pope didn't really even have to make a save, uh, made two. So easy stuff. But for uh, Burnley, it's just not clicking for them. They're not able to do what they need to do. Uh, I'm worried. Uh, I don't know why Koleosho came off. That scares me. Uh, didn't have any shots. Didn't affect the game like we'd like it to. But I do worry for Burnley. Uh, and we'll talk about Everton and then the relegation battle in a minute. So um, Everton lose to Luton. Just Everton. You cannot lose to Luton at home. If you don't want to be in a relegation fight, you cannot lose to Luton. Now, granted, they created a lot. They had an XG of three. Hallelujah. You're actually trying to win. But that XG is because you're behind and because you're taking shots and because, um, you know, Kamensky made three saves. That's not enough. That's not enough. You've got to get better shots off. Uh, the Lockyer and Carlton Morris goal was particularly good, but Lockyer is just a mistake um, on the on the side. Second half, especially uh, all Beto just trying to get shots off, but all of them off target. They just can't win games if you can't get shots on goal. The whole second half is all Everton, and they can't get a shot on goal. You've got to force. Um, You've got to force keepers to make saves. And most of their shots on goal for their XG were these point-blank scrambles in goal that end up being Calvert-Lewin. So the XG is actually 0.7 of that, 0.9. Actually, a whole bunch of that is all on one action. So it's really not accurate uh, in terms of XG. Really nothing, didn't create any good chances. Uh, again, Garner being the man setting things up. I really like him. But Everton... Just not enough. Not enough. I worry for them. I really, really do. I really worry. I'm tremendously worried <laughs> for Everton. Uh, they're just not good enough. I don't want to see them go. I don't want them to have their stadium be in the championship. It would be just one of the saddest things you can see, but you can't rely on your fans to keep you in the league over and over again. Um, it's just not going to work you're going to lose. And Everton, granted, Calvert-Lewin is making a difference for them. That's good. Uh, and he's scoring goals. That's good. But what looked like a good week, all of a sudden is just, you know, another another um, opportunity. What I'm looking for right now is I'm trying to find uh, the old tables for the Premier League because, there we go. Uh, I want to see last season... After seven weeks, let's see, last season after eight weeks. So last season after eight weeks, only Leicester were on one point. Uh, West Ham was on four and Forrest were on four. This season, after seven weeks, just to give you a sense of how the relegation battle's going, come on, is it the same? I'm just, I'm pretty sure it's different. Yeah, we have two teams on one, one on three, and two on four. So uh, last season felt like we had a better battle. Like last season, Palace was already on six, and Wolverhampton were on six. So they were better. The bottom of the table this season is really, really bad, uh, unable to get wins on the board. And this might be one of our worst uh, relegation groups in a long, long time. When I look at Bournemouth, who fired uh, O'Neill 
to bring in Ariola, that team that was statistically the worst team in the division, and Gary O'Neill got them to stay up, but you fire the coach for a more progressive manager, with that, whatever that means. Burnley really didn't strengthen too much. They lost a lot of the players that got them where they are, specifically Tyler uh, Ward-Bellis, uh, their defense, uh, Matt Mateen, who went back to Chelsea, uh, a lot of lone players. So they're trying to integrate 15 players. Will company have the time to do that? And then Sheffield United have just gotten given up 10 in a row, didn't buy any players, um, sold Sander Berg to Burnley. So they just are really bad. Uh, Everton we know about, Luton Town we know about, still the same group, barely added anything. So the bottom five, this bottom five here, Everton, Luton, Bournemouth, Burnley, and Sheffield, that will be the relegation battle, uh, I would expect. I think Wolves probably have too much, and they have Gary O'Neill, who's really good. I think Forrest have too much. Uh, like I said, Steve Cooper is a good coach. They now have Gibbs White and Iwani. So they're good there. They have a strong midfield. Sanagra looked incredible uh, against Brentford. So Nottingham Forest are in fantastic shape. But this relegation battle, these five teams, Everton, Luton, Bournemouth, Burnley, Sheffield United, this might be one of the worst groups we've seen in a really long time. Already Sheffield's minus 14. And I just look back at last season. Um, Leicester was minus 11. Nottingham Forest was minus 11. Um, but the other teams were not nearly as bad. Uh, and Leicester, we know, ended up getting out of this. They just were so bad in the beginning of the season. They did get relegated in the end, but they got way out of the relegation zone in different parts of the season, but then just eventually went down. So we have a really poor bottom of the table. I'd expect three of these five to go. What the three are, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Everton has been way too good already. Luton have put in good performances, shockingly. Uh, I think they've been better than people expect. But we have three teams with no wins seven weeks into the season although burnley and luton play uh on tuesday for the makeup game uh we'll see what that means that could be burnley's first win uh luton we celebrate you your first win in the premier league ever exciting stuff for luton town i believe i have covered everything not west ham too much uh they're sitting there let us talk the table with liverpool losing they had a chance to go top. The top four sit as City on 18, Tottenham on 17 with Arsenal, tied in every way possible on goal difference, uh, on points, with Liverpool right behind them on 16, Aston Villa in fifth on 15, tied with Brighton, who are in sixth. West Ham, Newcastle, and Crystal Palace bring up the mid-table, 7, 8, and 9, respectively, with the great and powerful Manchester United sitting in smack dab in the middle of the table on nine points uh fulham in 11th play on monday nottingham forest uh, on seven along with wolves who get the win against city brentford on six uh they get a needed draw but they've been sputtering a little bit chelsea is 15th place on five points 15th place everton in 16th luton in, in 17th bournemouth burnley and sheffield united in the relegation zone that is where the league is right now crazy times um, looking forward to not talking about var uh, looking forward to more midweek games and where are we going to go next week because the games come thick and fast i'll give you a little preview 
Um, the big games will be next week. Let's give it a shot here. Will be on Sunday. Liverpool play Brighton at the Amex. Should be a tough game. And Arsenal versus Manchester City. City come in limping, but Arsenal are in decent form. But no Rodri, no party. I don't expect City to uh, win this game, honestly. Uh, on a Sunday, no chance. We're not without Rodri. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the Premier League wing of the Top Football Channel. We record on Sunday nights, so please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. If you're watching on YouTube, listening on Apple, on Spotify, on AMP, wherever you are, please like, share, and subscribe. We need you. We love you. Thank you, Dean, for following along on the show. Uh, thank you, Chris, for making this show happen uh, and reinvigorating everything. And thank the whole crew in the Top Football WhatsApp group. Please, in the comments, let us know if you want to be in the Top Football WhatsApp group. Oh, happy to share the link with you. A uh, bunch of guys who fight, a bunch of guys who yell at each other, but get involved. It's a good time. And we will see you tomorrow with Chris on the Football Tonight show. And we'll be back with the Squeaky Bump Time podcast next week.